welcome to Coming Up for Air, the Allies in Recovery podcast, with hosts Laurie McDougall, Kayla Solomon, and Dominique Simone Levine. Okay, Kayla, so we have the topic today that you came up with. This is Kayla's topic, everybody. I think it's a great topic. It's actually something that gets addressed also in my meetings, but why don't you kind of throw it out there? What are we going to talk about today? The topic for today is, if you're listening to this podcast, the question is, how do you know what you need and what you want? And also, we're going to be talking about what gets in the way of actually knowing the answer to that. That's period, as my friend would say, period. So Lori, what's your thought when I say that? Well, first off, so I just sit here and I start thinking about when I'm in the middle of crisis and chaos, or not even crisis, just chaos or something that's emotionally deregulating me, I often don't want to consider what I want or need. I want to put it aside. Why? Um, why? Because it's scary. It's scary because I know that there's going to be pushback. It's not going to be received well uh, when I make that statement or clearly define what it is that I want and I need. Now, notice that the other thing about this is what's because I'm also sitting here thinking about it in two different lights, like dealing with someone with substance use disorder or mental health, and then my husband. <laughs> <laughs> right. And with my husband, I'm not afraid to tell him what I need and what I want. In fact, I can be very clear with him about what I need and what I want. It's when I know that it isn't going to be received very well, and there's going to be pushback, and I'm not going to be heard. That's what scares me and probably prevents me a lot of the time for saying it or for even just doing it. Because I think sometimes you don't even have to say it out loud. You can just do it. You can just take care of your own needs and your own wants. But that fear prevents me some of the time from saying it or doing it. Right. Which makes complete sense that that's an obstacle. So What's hard is if you put it out there and then the person pushes back or rejects it, that's painful. And I also think that what we're working with here is a large population, including myself and you, of doers, okay? And people who do look at a list of what needs to be done and they just do it. And I think that what, what for myself personally, I wind up having this value that's given to taking care of business, taking care of people, taking care of things. And that... I get a lot of my self-worth and my identity from doing. And if I stop and actually ask myself, what do I want and what do I need? Many of the times, it's such a, a very underdeveloped muscle, I don't know the answer to it. It takes a long time for me to figure out what I do want and what I need, because often it's, I'm looking outside of myself and not inside. I'm glad you said that because I'm sitting here picturing like an interaction with my son. And I started to realize that if I stop and I ask myself, what do I want? What do I need? Then what my answer would be, I need him to stop using substances. I need him to, <laughs> I need him to stop yelling at me, which is me looking outside of myself 
you know, I'm looking to him to make me feel better when in fact, actually I have to look to myself to manage my own emotions and my own feelings and my own needs and wants and taking care of me in this moment, in this situation. And that's hard to do. Well, and welcome to our topic. Okay. Cause what you just said is the reason that we're having this because we, we had this discussion in the group and there were several people who said, I need for my son to be okay. I need for my husband to stop drinking. I need for my daughter to be home by 10 o'clock. I need her not to yell at me. As soon as we start focusing the world in that way, first of all, we have expectations and we know about expectations. You're just going to be chronically disappointed. But the other thing is we're powerless. It's like we set up our wants and needs in a place that we have absolutely no control or power. You know, it's really interesting because what popped into my head as you were saying that is when we do that or when I do that, I'm giving up my power. All the time. Right. In other words, this other person, it determines all sorts of stuff for me, determines how I'm going to feel. And, you know, we do address this as well in our groups. We don't talk about it in these terms, but I think I might experiment and ask the ask these questions in the groups because I want to I want to see what people are going to answer with. But, you know, we address this and we talk about this, about how if you're looking to somebody else to do something and behave in a particular way so you feel better, boy, what a heavy burden to give the other person. Yes. And second off, you're giving away all of your power. You're you're just giving it away. And so when you start to turn and focus on yourself and you managing it and you determining what needs to happen in order for your needs to be met, you're actually becoming empowered. Yes. And a lot of the reasons why family members are not respected in the process of this treatment program, like working with treatment and getting help for the loved one is because there's a perception that the families are codependent, enmeshed, and doormats. I confess, I as a professional, that was my perspective for the longest time. It was like, oh, if only they would get help. If only they would get better, I'll be okay. And it's very hard to work with somebody who is looking for the other person to do the work because then it's almost like you don't have any responsibility. This other person has all the responsibility for your well-being. And so as a clinician, I was not drawn to that. I was not attracted to that possibility. And then when I realized with Allies and Craft, the whole model is focused on the family member and what they can do and what you can work on and what you can do for yourself and how you can change and how you can take your power, that's very enlivening and encouraging and exciting. But if you're waiting and you're in the victim stance, which really was what waiting is, is like, you're doing this to me. Of course, I can't get what what, what I want and what I need because you're not okay and you treat me this way. Right. And actually, I did feel that way about myself, I think, early on in my journey. And it actually wasn't until... I found craft and I found the allies and recovery website and I started implementing these skills and strategies that it was a journey. It was a process. And I started to really understand that, oh my gosh, I'm doing the exact same thing that my loved one is doing, 
So we hear this all the time, right? A person with addiction often will say, it's because of you. It's because you got divorced. It's because you won't give me the money for this. It's because, you know, it's this, it's my sister, it's my brother. It's a, they are looking to the outside. They are looking for anything other than themselves to soothe themselves because they don't know how and because it's incredibly difficult to do. And I started to realize, oh my gosh, I'm doing the exact same thing. I am asking my loved one to learn better coping skills to deal with their own emotions and feelings. And yet I'm also asking them to deal with my emotions and feelings and soothe me. Oh boy, what a heavy burden. And it wasn't until I kind of got that concept that it was like, oh my gosh. And, and I hear this all the time. Oh, so I have to do more work than them. Well, Actually, yeah, you might have to do more work than them. You might have to work on yourself, right? Because you're not there yet either. But you're not doing the work to make them better. You're actually doing the work to make you better. Yes. Right? So that you're bringing a better individual, better equipped person to the table. So your interaction is going to be better. My belief about life and our personal growth is that we have to be looking at ourselves all the time to see how we interact. Are we getting our needs met? Are we taking care of ourselves? Are we even in a realm where we're aware of ourselves? Because so much of our lives without doing that is unconscious. And so we react and we're reactive and we feel like exhausted and we don't have any say over things. So I feel like even though this we're asking for a heavy lift of hard work on yourself, this is so that you actually are doing better, that you get to grow, that you have self-awareness, that you have tools, that you have skills. We just happen to frame it in the, to work with your loved one that's dealing with substances, but it's not just about that. When I ask, what do you want and what do you need? That's not just about your loved one, that's about everything. So, you know, if you're somebody who doesn't know how to answer that question, that means Bing, 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 bing. That's the most important questions that you could ask right now is to slow things down. Goes back to our pause because you can't do that when you're in the middle of doing 25,000 things. You have to stop and then sit with yourself. You know, like I think about, you know, sometimes I struggle. What's the difference between want and need? But to me, it's like you want an outcome. So it's like, to me, it's like, I want to feel a sense of peace. So then the next step is, what do I need to do to allow that to happen? So for me, it's about setting boundaries. It's about taking time to do the things that make me feel better, whether it's exercise or breathing or playing with a dog or having a really good conversation with somebody or going out to coffee with somebody I haven't seen in a while so that I could feel connected. So basically, I find them very intertwined. So I don't really care what the differentiation in terms of definitions, and you know I'm all about definitions. But to me, it's about slowing down to look at myself and get a sense of what's happening for me right now and what would make me actually feel taken care of by myself. Everything you just said made me think about back to the beginning of the conversation where I started saying, you know, I'm afraid or it's very difficult for me to express my wants and needs to my loved one with addiction, but my husband on the other hand, but I, I want to clarify something because 
I can ask for my wants or needs from this other person. I can clearly either ask for it or engage in some kind of activity or do something, some kind of an action to show what I need or what I want. But again, remember, it's not the other person's responsibility to take care of the need or want. In other words, it's still up to me to take care of my need or want. And what I mean by that is, I just think about couples, like when couples are together, let's say it's mom and dad's drinking a lot and they've got kids and mom is taking care of those kids all by herself. It's, it's her responsibility all the time and she's getting worn down, she's getting worn down, but dad is drinking and drinking and you know not really participating as a dad. I'll often talk to a partner and say, well, it's really important to stop and ask yourself, what do you want and what do you need? And you need to find some way to convey that message to your husband. And then if he is unable to be sensitive and understanding of those wants and needs and help fulfill it, how are you going to do it? Like, what are you going to do? Because in that instance, it still is your responsibility to make sure that that need is met. And it might require a stretch. It might require that you ask to, have to ask somebody else for help. It might require that, you know, you take a class and you say, look, I'm taking a class on Wednesday nights you have to watch the kids. And then of course we have to worry about, you know, is he drinking? And then you have to think about what are my options? Do I, is there a neighbor that could watch them at that point? So I could get a break. You know, you have to build this in somehow. And I feel like most people that are doers don't ask for help because they do everything and everybody expects them to be doing all the time. And people are not used to them asking. They're the ones that get asked. And so that was a, a rude awakening for me when I realized everybody asks me for stuff all the time. I never asked anybody for anything. And so people were like, were very happy to say no to me because it was not a familiar, it wasn't easy for people to respond to that. And part of it is I didn't have the right people. I had to start asking people who could do things for me, not just these people who can't. So that took a massive stretch on my part to be able to ask for things from people who would say yes. And I had to find them because sometimes it requires beating the bushes, but it's my responsibility to get that need for support taken care of. Not by the person who's using, but it could be somebody else, which is still a want and a need. I also think it goes a little bit deeper. So then you also have to think, okay, if this individual is not able to I don't know, ever take care of the kids. I can't, you know, they won't ever step up to the plate for that. And that is a need that you have within that relationship. How are you going to take care of yourself in the future? And what does that look like for you? And it's a much easier kind of concept, I think, to explain to partners in a partnership versus mom and dad and a, and a child or an adult child or you know, it's a much easier, no, you come into a marriage or you come into a partnership in some way. Oftentimes, you know, sometimes you're giving 60% and they're giving 40%. Sometimes they're giving 80 and you're giving 20, but you do have the right in that relationship to ask for your needs to be met by this other person. And what are you going to do if they do not step up to the plate? in whatever capacity that you need them to. 
it's still your responsibility to make sure that your needs are being met. You know, it just makes me think when I was younger, I used to have this belief that if you love me, you would know what I need and what I want. Oh no! And oh my God, like having oh. psychic relationships, not a good idea. And then I realized one day, you know, I actually don't want anybody reading my mind because this can be a crazy place. So I'd rather be just put out what I'm interested in. But it took a lot of it took a lot of effort. The other thing that when I just want to go back to what you were saying about if it's your child that it doesn't feel the same like you're asking for that person. But a lot of times our ask for me, it's not so much asking what you want them to do. A lot of times what I feel like I'm asking them what not to do. So it's like, I really don't want you yelling at five o'clock in the morning or at two o'clock at night. Yeah. Yeah. Using me things or yeah. Uh, Yeah. Or I really don't want you to call me and ask me for money for the next couple of weeks because it's really not working for me. So to me, that's an easier ask because then my response to that is how I actually take care of that need. So I can't ask you to get sober and I can't ask you to go into treatment because that's not an actual ask, but I could ask you what I don't want you to do to me. And that's reasonable. Right. That's reasonable. And you can clearly kind of outline that for someone without even asking. You can take the steps. You can take action steps and leave the situation. So step back, ask yourself, what do I want? What do I need? Well, right now I don't need to be the whipping post. Okay, so what are you going to do for yourself so that you're not the whipping post? I'm going to exit out of the situation until it settles, and then maybe I'll come back and address it. Well, and the other issue is, like, let's say the person is coming in and doing bad behavior on a regular basis. Like, you know, we had a family where this person was, like, flipping out in the middle of the night and making a crazy, crazy scene every night, not even with the family members, just outside the doors. And you have a right to say, if this continues, this living arrangement is not going to work. You have, you get to choose that. You know, this is not working for me because I need to sleep. And if you can't be quiet at night, this is not a good place for you to live because it's not working for me. I have to work or I have to get up in the morning. I often say, you know, you, you can give, give warnings. And I often say you can give them a, a good idea of what's going to happen what you are going to do if this individual cannot follow that particular want or need, well, I'm probably going to call the police the next time it happens and have them take you to the hospital or whatever it is, right? And I know this sounds crazy and a lot of people don't like to do stuff like that. They're petrified and I totally get it. It it really is, it's devastating and an incredibly difficult thing to do. But The wonderful thing about doing things like that and getting your loved one to the hospital or calling the police, you do it once or twice. They clearly know it's going to happen the next time. And you'll see that one, the behavior either diminishes. And then the other thing that happens is once you get through this incredibly difficult, harrowing time, and I know it's physically, it's a toll. It's a toll on you mentally. It's a toll on your body physically. But oftentimes when the dust settles, this is the time when your loved one starts to realize how bad of an issue it is and that they start to ask for things like help or they start to see that, okay, it can't go on the way it is. I've experienced it. I've actually did at one point have my son hospitalized 
And it was, I, I can't even tell you how difficult it was emotionally. And then physically, like, I think I was sick afterwards for weeks and weeks. But on the other side of it, once we kind of got through it, there was some help on the other side, right? And there was some a, a better understanding on the other side. And by the way, it might include that if you have like a three strikes you're out policy, that the third time you call the police and they got hospitalized, it might be that you decide that this is, that they can't come back to your house because it's not working for you and your needs and your ability to handle the situation because it really is too much. And that is a right that you have. I'm really bothered by people that will say, kick them out, kick them out, kick them out. Kick them. I say, why don't you just offer different options? Yeah. You can offer them options and then the choice is theirs, right? Your house just isn't a choice at this point. And actually, I agree with you. Not only isn't it good for you, but it's actually not good for them. It's not working for either parties. Yeah. So I'm going to give you my, I'm going to give you my line. Okay. My line is based on what you decide to do or not do, depending on the situation, I will be making choices. So if you choose to keep doing this behavior, my choice is going to be to not continue to live with you because it's not working for me, but you get to choose because you could either shift the behavior or you could move out and here's some options that you have moving out, but this is not working for me. I love the, it's not working for me line because that's what you're saying. It's not working for me. It's like, you could be fine with what's going on, but this is actually not working for me. And so I can't really continue like this, but you get to choose because if it shifts, I'm absolutely, I'm happy for you to stay. But if it doesn't shift, I can't go on like this. So you then, you know, you'll have other options. I'll give you like a list of things that places that you could go, but living here is not going to continue to be a choice for you. I love it. Okay, why don't you do a quick summary of what we talked about? All right, so, so many times when we're in this level of crisis and we're dealing with somebody with this kind of difficult behavior, we feel like we don't have the time or space to ask ourselves, what do we want, what do we need? Or if you're a doer and you're always trying to affect the environment in order to get your needs met, it's an external focus. So what we're talking about today is to really stop and pause and check in with yourself about, how are you doing? What do you need? What do you want? What changes you can make? What choices you have to actually get your needs met? Take your power back, see what you could do. And then we operate under the assumption that once you're keeping your side of the street clean and you're doing self-care, that it actually has a positive influence on this other person. This is not just about rejection and abandonment and throwing the person out. This is about really demonstrating boundaries and self-care so that you're actually having a positive influence on them. And also you're stopping and interrupting the crazy cycle that's been going on and on. And then they have a chance to do something differently. Okay, great. Thank you, Kayla. Thank you, Lori. Thanks for listening. We hope this episode of Coming Up For Air spoke to you. If you're listening in today on a podcast platform that isn't the Allies member site, please take a moment to give us a five-star rating. This helps others find the show more easily. If you have a suggestion for a new topic or a guest for the show, please reach out through the Contact Us form on alliesinrecovery.net. Special thanks to our hosts, our guests, and our production team.